0: Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week, we're talking about the HBO series Barry, the Edith Wharton novel The Buccaneers, and the Hulu miniseries The Sister. Lots of different things in there. Yeah.
1: We're going to start with Barry because I have heard of it, but I don't really know anything about it. So I would like you to please tell me more.
0: Okay. Yeah, this is a fun show. It's on it's on HBO. You know how much I have been loving HBO <laughs> really? lately. And it's a it's technically a sitcom, but it's very it's got a lot of sort of darker themes. I think it's described as a tragicomedy or a dark comedy okay. crime series. Bill Hader plays the titular Barry. Bill Hader, mostly known from Saturday Night Live. He plays a hitman who lives in Cleveland. He has been formerly a sniper in the military, and he's working for this kind of low-rent crime boss named Monroe Fuchs, played by Steven Root, who most people may know him from Office Space and News Radio. He's a veteran character actor. And he gets an assignment to go to Los Angeles to take out a crime boss there. But while he's in Los Angeles, he randomly goes into an amateur acting class, And he gets really into the idea of quitting being a hitman to become an actor. (laughs) And he's very earnest about it. He's very, like, tentative in his acting career. But it's really charming how he's trying hard to, like, go into this legitimate life and this legitimate line of work. He falls in love with one of the actresses in the class, Sally, played by Sarah Goldberg. And he really just starts to question whether he's a good person. And that's kind of the crux of the show. It gets kind of philosophical of, can you be a good person if you have been a criminal for a big chunk of your life? Hmm. And how do you escape that criminal life to go legitimate? And, and also, what does that mean as an artist? Can you draw on some of the darker things that you've done in your past to inform your acting? There's some interesting moments where he has to play characters who are very, Bad. And it makes him incredibly uncomfortable because he ends up flashing back to things he did both in the war as a soldier and things that he's done as a hitman. So it's really interesting. It's also got a ton of brilliant performances. His acting teacher is this guy named Gene Cousineau, played by Henry Winkler, who is best known as the Fawns on <laughs> Happy Days. And uh, he's now much older, but he's very, very funny. He's definitely the sort of guy who thinks that his own acting career had been a lot more important than it probably really was, especially considering he's now teaching this (laughs) sort of community theater acting class. But he serves as a really interesting mentor to Barry. And Barry is sort of his loyalty and allegiance and life is divided between these two mentor figures in his life, Gene and Monroe. And they represent these like pulls between trying to be a good person or at least a creative person and being a criminal where the the rewards are very different in each in each path that he could take and both parts of his life threaten each other so having been in in the crime world that threatens his life as an actor and his acting interferes and sometimes threatens his life as a criminal in the moments that he sort of is pulled back into that life it's been nominated for a lot of emmys I think Winkler, Henry Winkler did win one Emmy for this show, and uh, Bill Hader co-created and writes a lot of the episodes, so it's very much his creative brainchild. There's also a character named Noho Hank, who is this Russian mobster played by Anthony Kerrigan, and he's this, like, he's I think he's an albino, but he also naturally doesn't have any hair, and he's very weird looking. He's got this thick Russian accent, but he's also obsessed with American pop culture, and he wants to almost be like a like a sort of influencer kind of guy so he's really really funny <laughs> and that's another character that i like a lot but the stuff that i find most interesting i you know when i was in like high school and early college and stuff i was involved in theater things and i really like theater and amateur theater in particular and so some of the stuff about like acting exercises and what getting into and getting in touch with your creative side as an actor can provide for you in the rest of your life. I find that really compelling. So, but yeah, and it's, there. there is some violence. There's some moments that get really dark and strange. And you do at times question whether Barry even has the potential to be a good person. Like there's moments that make you think, no, he just actually likes killing people, but I don't think he likes that he likes killing people. So it's this big moral (laughs) quandary that he's in. (laughs) And as a viewer, you're sort of in that same quandary. It reminds me a lot of Weeds, which I don't know if you, did you ever watch Weeds? Not really. I watched the first episode. Okay. It has a little bit in common with that. I think that Barry is, ironically, even though he's a worse criminal, he's more likable than Nancy Botwin from Weeds. But both shows, I think, struggle with this idea of, you know, what does it mean to be doing things out of necessity and trying at different points to either escape or return to either a legitimate life or a criminal life and and how often the people that we don't suspect as being criminals are doing the worst things out there. So but yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. It's not there's not a super ton of episodes. There's only 16 episodes, two seasons. They're making a third season. It got sh- cut short by COVID and so during the lockdown they have actually written all of seasons 3 and 4. Okay. So hopefully when they're able to start production again, they'll be able to just do both seasons back to back so i totally recommend it great that sounds really (laughs) different and interesting (laughs) a little bit out there yeah a little bit
1: (laughs) i didn't really know what it was about at all except that bill Hader was in it and Mm -hmm. i kind of remember like a commercial of him having a gun so that was all i knew about it Mm -hmm. but i think it's really interesting that it
0: tackles questions like that so i might give it a shot yeah finished shot. it's pretty fun cool it's not we watched it over christmas time which may have been tonally a mistake but, but you know it, it's probably it's a good quick like end of winter binge mm. so i think definitely check it out cool but you've you've been rereading something that is an old favorite of yours right you've been yeah. rereading a good edith wharton tome tell us about that that's correct uh, yeah
1: everyone who knows me for more than 5 minutes knows that I am a big Edith Wharton fan and <laughs> when we were discussing the turn of the screw I was thinking about Henry James and reading more Henry James which I still haven't read a lot of him but he and Edith Wharton were friends mm-hmm. and they they exchanged letters and exchanged novels and things like that and this is the nerdiest thing I've ever bought but I just bought like a used $5 copy of of a book that's just their letters between each other.
0: <laughs> Aw, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> I'm excited to read that. <laughs> so because we were thinking about, I was thinking about Henry James, I was like, oh, I haven't actually read any Thornton book in a while. And I decided to start with the Buccaneers and I'm probably going to try something new after that. But the Buccaneers is one of my favorites and it's her last novel. It was actually unfinished at her death. Hmm. She died in 1937, and uh, I think the unfinished manuscript was published in 1938. She did have an outline. So in the 1990s, at some point, Marion Mainwaring, who is an author, I haven't actually read any of her stuff, but she's written like some mysteries and maybe like mystery parodies.
0: Mm. Have you heard of her or read her? No, I haven't. Okay. No. no.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll have to put some of her stuff on my list. But she actually passed away in 2015. But in the 90s, she took Edith Wharton's outline for the rest of the book and finished the book. Mm. So I have read the finished version by both Wharton and Mainwaring. I haven't read the unfinished version. I just feel like okay. going back to that would be strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I think if you want to read the unfinished version, just stop reading yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like read up to a certain point point stop. Right. There you go. There's the unfinished version.
1: Fill in your own ending.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so
1: the book is, even though it was written in the 30s, it is set in the 1870s. And it follows five young women. The main character is Annabelle St. George. They call her Nan, which I think is cute. <laughs> and she's the youngest of the five. And then there's her older sister, Virginia. And their friends, Lizzie Elmsworth and Mabel Elmsworth, who are sisters. And then Conchita Clausen. So the girls' fathers are in business together. And there's all this like sort of social stuff because they're all nouveau riche. So they are trying to get accepted into the fancy sets of New York. And they can't really do it because their money is new. And then there's some additional stuff at the beginning about conchita's family because they're you know people talk and they're just like oh she's brazilian or something so maybe they're not even married i don't know there's just some weird stuff about you know propriety and things like that but the girls kind of all stick together and the saint george's father is like hey i have this big deal with conchita clausen's dad like you you have to be nice to them so they all, all the girls kind of become friends and Conchita ends up marrying an Englishman and he is the third son or something and he's sort of a layabout and not very ambitious. Doesn't have a lot of money because he's not the heir and also because, you know, the states aren't bringing in as much as they used to, but he sort of is their entry into a new world So what happens is the girls are trying to enter into society. They don't really get accepted. So Nan has a governess named Laura Tess Valley. And the first half of the book kind of skips over some time. But after a couple years, Miss Tess Valley suggests that they all go to England and try out a season there. So basically there are American girls who have a lot of money and they don't really know how to feel, like behave in English society. And all the English men are sort of taken by them. And all of the English mothers are sort of scandalized by them. But at the same time, like all of these men with titles want their money. So it's about them kind of navigating that. And it's a lot about like happiness and and figuring out who you are, and, and what would make you happy. And all five girls end up with different fates. And some are happier than others. And Edith Wharton sort of leaves it up to you to decide which of those fates is the best and which is the worst. Like, do you want to be happy and poor? <laughs> do, mm. do you want to be rich, but kind of miserable? <laughs> mm. So yeah, it's, it's it's very much a society novel. And The things that I really love about it are the fact that it's, even though Nan is the main character, it is about all five of them. And there are are some references to them having to like stick together and navigate this new world together. And one of the great scenes is, I just read a couple nights ago. So Lizzie and Virginia are sort of rivals. And there's this guy, actually Conchita's husband's, older brother seeden his name's is Seedin, which is just weird <laughs> <laughs> so seeden is like like can't really choose between the two girls because he's he just seems dumb but <laughs> that's fine <laughs> <laughs> and he has a mistress like they're all in the same picnics together and stuff comes up and lizzie's younger sister mabel has tried to get one of the other men to be like hey can you just like nudge seedin along and like get him to make a decision because the the girls are like they can't they're rivals and they don't really want to be and it just needs to end so he has to pick someone and then because the mistress is there lizzie sort of swoops in and is like virginia can't you see that Seton can't say anything until you do so why don't you just tell the mistress that you're engaged? And like, <laughs> and she just manufactures this situation. And I was like, whoa, dang, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it's, it's like a really interesting way of portraying how they rely on each other, but are also can also be rivals at the same time. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. But it's called Buccaneers because... There's an American woman, an older American woman who has lived in England for 30 or 40 years. And I guess she refers to all the girls as the Buccaneers because they come over and like steal steal all the men's hearts. <laughs> there are definitely some sad moments and some moments that I think are really poignant. But Nan St. George is one of my favorite characters of all time, I think. Mm. And she is young. She's 16 when it starts. She's 18. When most, a lot of it takes place. Oh, I I do want to mention that Edith Wharton had a really good relationship with her own governess. And I think that comes through in this because Nan and and Miss Tess Valley are are really close. And there's a book that my dad gave me for my birthday once because he knows me really well. And it's the letters between Edith Wharton and her her governess, which I think is really cute.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. I know. Okay.
1: But I think one of my favorite things about this and about all of Edith Wharton's books are just—I mean, I've always just loved her style ever since I started reading her in high school. Mm-hmm. So there are a few sentences that I'm just gonna—I'm just gonna read you because I've been underlining them as I go. But um, there's this moment fairly early on where Virginia sort of shuts nan down as sisters can sometimes do and then she says wharton says nan said nothing but an iron gate seemed to clang shut in her the gate that was so often slammed by careless hands which i was just like oh oh, that does happen you know but nan's like really dreamy and she she wants to like experience the world and she meets this guy whose name is guy (laughs) (laughs) And he's got this old house called Honor's Love. And they're pretty, I don't know if poor is the right word, but his father got into debt. So he has to go make his fortune in South America so he can come back and, and restore Honor's Love to its former glory. And they're talking about it. And he says the house is like in his bones. And she says, oh, you understand. And he says, understand. And she says, I mean about the beyondness of things and it's just like, it just sits there and I'm just like, yeah, the beyondness of things. I totally understand what you mean there. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. When we had talked about, we were talking about just one of our favorite books and I mentioned, I capture the castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was because I really related to the main character. I feel like there are a lot of similarities between Cassandra from I Capture the Castle and Nan from this book. And then just the last quote that I will give you has stayed with me since the first time I read this, which was a long time ago. But it's the greatest mistake is to think that we ever know why we do things. I suppose the nearest we can ever come to it is by getting what old people call experience. But by the time we've got that, we're no longer the persons who did the things we no longer understand. The trouble is, I suppose that we change every moment and the things we did stay. And I think about that a lot.
0: Yeah, well,
1: wow. cuz we do change every moment and yeah. It's it's a really interesting story. It's got Edith Wharton's patented bleakness, so it's not going to be a Jane Austen romance where everything <laughs> turns out well for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, there's <laughs> <laughs> you know, social commentary and stuff. So if that sounds like your sort of thing, I might give it a, give it a shot. I think you would find it interesting in particular. Yeah. Have you read much Edith Wharton?
0: Not as much as I would like. I, a little bit, but yeah. I this sounds really good, and I I think especially. I mean, I can totally tell it's your. It's definitely your jam. <laughs> yeah. But I like that kind of thing too. I has it ever been adapted for the screen? Yes. Or television or anything? Okay. So
1: I was going to bring this up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It came out in 1994. And Mm -hmm. so it was like a BBC adaptation, I think. Mm -hmm. And it is pretty great, except they didn't work off the finished book. They worked off the unfinished manuscript. So the endings are a little bit different. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know if I would read it or watch it first. I'm not really sure. But I'm just going to run through (laughs) the actresses who played the girls. In the adaptation, there are only four girls. Mabel Elmsworth, poor Mabel, gets cut out, which I kind of understand because like five is a lot. (laughs) But Rhea Kilstedt plays Lizzie Elmsworth. Mira Sorvino plays Conchita Claussen, who's great. Allison Elliott plays Virginia St. George. And do you want to guess who plays Nan St.
0: George? Oh, I don't know. Who? who? <laughs> I don't know. Kira Knightley?
1: Your favorite, Carla Guccino.
0: No! Oh! <laughs> Ugh! No, I'm not watching that. No! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey! No, but she's, she's really
1: great. And she was really young when she did this, I think. And it's honestly the reason I like her so much, because I watched this when I was in high school, and I was just like, yeah, that's
0: Nan, and I love Nan. Okay. That's fine. She's allowed to have jobs. Obviously, I watch <laughs> things with her in it and live to tell the tale. So fine. <laughs> it's irrational. I don't know. It should have been Paula Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to
1: watch every Carla Gugino thing, and I'm going to talk about all of them okay. on this
0: show. Today. <laughs> that's fine. That's okay. That's fine. No, no, no. You you go right ahead. That's all good.
1: <laughs> so I definitely recommend the book to you. <laughs> For viewers, okay. I I do recommend the series. I think it's pretty good. There are some changes that I don't agree with, but overall, I think it's it sticks to the heart of the book. So, yeah, I I really like it, and I you know what? I might go watch it again. <laughs> cool. Okay, that's great. Sorry I talked so long about Edith Wharton. It's 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 my burden to bear. I just can't stop talking about her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's that's totally understandable. But in a very different genre, we both we both watched something on Hulu, mm-hmm. a short miniseries that's based on a book. And I read the book, but you have not yet. So but this was a miniseries called The Sister. Mm-hmm. And then I read the book, which was called Burial. And it was written by Neil Cross and written in 2009. But I read that after the series. So let's maybe Mm -hmm. focus on the show. So I started it and told you, oh, man, this is so good. You got to start it. And so you watched it just a couple days after me. I did. And yeah. So why don't you give us a quick little rundown of the plot? Sure,
1: sure. I also want to point out before we get started that (laughs) you watched it first, told me about it. And then (laughs) every time I was watching an episode... (laughs) I was messaging you like, what? No way. (laughs) (laughs) So it's about this guy named Nathan, who's played by Russell Tovey, who's adorable. And I feel like we all love him. Yes. But he's been in lots of other things. But he has been hiding a secret. And when the show opens, he's living with his wife, Holly, and an old mysterious friend named Bob comes to in, and Bob's super weird and creepy and suspicious and is like, we have to move the body and then, and then all this stuff goes down. <laughs> it's four episodes. So it sort of slowly teases out the bad thing that happened on this one night in particular that they're talking about and teases out the relationship between Bob and Nathan and Nathan and Holly. And it all hinges on the disappearance of Holly's sister, whose name I don't remember. Elise. Elise, sorry. And I don't know exactly how how many details we want to give you because, like I said, everything gets teased out over the course of four episodes, but it is a wild ride.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely wild and it... Yeah, I don't know that we want to give too much away. I think the main the main thing is that there is a dark secret between these two men, and I want to mention Russell Tovey. Listeners may mostly know him from playing the werewolf in Being Human, and yes, he is he's normally known for slightly more comedic roles or at least much more lighthearted roles where he's a good guy, Mm -hmm. and so this is a real departure for him, and he's very muted and depressed and this weighty secret is clearly gnawing at his character. And then the guy who plays Bob, Bob is so creepy. <laughs> Bob is played by Bertie Carvel, who I have seen in Doctor Foster as the husband in Doctor Foster, and he's totally normal and not creepy in that. Like he's not a good character, but he's not this like decrepit, like he's got long stringy hair. He always looks wet in a bad way. <laughs> And he just looks like drizzly and grimy and gross. And I will say that in the the book, which follows, this is adapted fairly closely to the book. In the book, they make all these, they talk about Bob's apartment being like, like having bad smells in it. And you get that sense from watching the miniseries. Like his apartment is so grimy. It's in a basement and the lighting is real dim and like flickery and, Just creepy. And you can imagine it smells bad. It smells like spoiled (laughs) milk or something, you know? Ooh. Yeah. And the whole thing, I mean, everything does really hinge on the fact that something bad happened many years before between these men involving someone dying and that Nathan's life now is great. He's got a good job. He's got a beautiful wife. But there is stuff about his wife that's somewhat involved in this mystery. And I will also say there is a there's a slight tinge of the supernatural too. Mm -hmm. But it's questionable about how real that is. So yeah, I don't know. Are there other details we can give without giving much of anything away? Probably not. It's really hard.
1: (laughs) I don't even know if I could talk about the thing that I wanted to talk about because it sort of gives away stuff.
0: I think my synopsis might have given away stuff yeah I think I think we're good though but I think the the big point of it is it's such a concise story it's very tightly told I think it's the perfect length and it's I think we both were watching it pretty late at night Mm -hmm. at least sometimes which I think helps the atmosphere of it so it's a very creepy quick little watch yeah and the performances are just amazing understated in the case of Russell Tovey and very creepy in the case of Bertie Carvel. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they probably deserve some nominations of some kind for this. It was great. I just loved it. And the book, I will say, the book is more violent okay. than the miniseries. And something I found interesting about Neil Cross's writing, he wrote this adaptation of it too, oh. but his prose writing is very spare and matter of fact. And I thought that was an interesting technique I felt like Mm -hmm. you end up just sort of feeling like it unfolds in this slow dread because everything is just kind of like and then this happens and it'll be just as mundanely told as if it was like and then he made a cup of tea and then it's like oh and then they were scrabbling at the ground with their fingers it's like oh well that's (laughs) worse but you're saying it so plainly like I don't know it really it kind of worked for me it was a very it's a very quick read because of that, yeah, but I will say that if if violence makes you squeamish, the t v version is not terribly violent, but the book is a little bit more violent, so just be aware of that that's good to know, but uh, yeah, 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 I thought it was great though, and if you want if you want an antidote after watching this, then definitely check out Being Human so you can see <laughs> Russell in a much happier well, although I mean he's a tortured werewolf, <laughs> but he's a little bit happier as a character
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's I think it's definitely worth watching it it doesn't take up too much time and it it sucks you in really well even though not all the characters most of the characters are not likable although it's a very small cast a uh, tight cast mm-hmm. so yeah I <laughs> I really enjoyed the experience of watching it even though I ended up messaging you so much. It was like, what is happening? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that?
0: <laughs> well, and we found some very creepy gifts of Bob to exchange back and forth, yeah. which made it funnier. Oh, Bob is so creepy. Why is the name Bob creepy? Like, There's a lot of creepy characters in other sort of cult media who are named Bob. And it's such a mundane name, but then it's like, it holds a lot of. I don't know. It's it's a good name to make your your sort of more villainous character I, for sure. I never
1: considered that. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> my sister's extended family has a lot of bobs, so I don't Aww. think I could get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I think we both enjoyed it a lot. It's on Hulu. It was originally on. It's a British miniseries, but yeah, it was just great. It was a fun little. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I also. I went into it on a whim, seeing it on an like a splash page advertised and didn't know anything about it and was like, that title sounds creepy. That graphic looks creepy. Let me just start this. And of course, it immediately sucked. So like, I think, take chances like that. If you see a show mm-hmm. just like a splash page, and you're like, what is that? Don't even look into it deeper. Just like watch it. Try it. Check it out.
1: I agree. Because you told me about it and didn't tell me a lot about it. So I didn't really know much when I started watching it either. And I was like, what? That's what this is about? Because of your past experience with Russell Tovey, you're just like, oh, he's going to be like this nice character who, I don't know, gets caught up in a crime and has to solve it or something. <laughs> but no.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So well, I think it's good that we don't give our listeners too much more detail so yeah. that they can go in as cold as possible. But, mm-hmm. but next week... Next week, we're going to be talking about the Netflix series, Bridgerton, which is apparently now the most popular Netflix series of all time. So, geez, maybe everyone's already watched it, but we'll give, I know, right? So we'll give our rundown of that. We're also going to talk about something we don't normally cover, which is an app. We're going to talk about the writing app Byline, which I've been enjoying a lot lately. And then you're going to talk about the Maggie Rogers album, Heard It in the Past Light. So Mm -hmm. look forward to that. Yeah, me too. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And you can find me at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of PawsPop.